the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Well, I am really glad to see you guys. I love you guys. I love this church, whether I can see you or not. I love you all, especially those I can't see online. I love you guys too. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Arise Church Denver, and we are all about helping people follow Jesus. We wanna help you follow Jesus, and for you in turn to help others follow Jesus, because following Jesus is the path to the fullest life and the only path to eternal life. Uh, And man, we are in for a good day today. You guys realize this is the fourth and final, the finale message of our Satan Scheme series? Oh my gosh. I'm excited for it, okay? Anybody else excited? Okay, there we go. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, well, I'm excited. It's gonna be a good message because we're gonna talk about this fourth scheme of Satan and how he seeks to divide us. And this is so important, especially for us as a church. I think, I think it's so good, so important, so needed because there is way too much division even among followers of Jesus within churches. I've shared this before, um, but when I was um, at the end of middle school, the church that I loved, that I had grown up in, split. It split in half. My family went with one group, and then my best friend, Ben, went with the group that went to the other church. So my best friend, like I didn't have a choice, he didn't have a choice, because we were little kids, but, but I got divided from a friend because our church was divided. And there were some real issues, there was real problems that were going on, and I was too young to understand all of them. But I know one thing, it hurt. It sucked uh, to lose a friend, to lose my church like that. And, and it was rough. Uh, and I, I don't think I'm the only one who's experienced some rough stuff like that, even in church. That there's divisions in churches, churches splitting, conflict, people kicked out of churches. Maybe you were kicked out of a church. Maybe you were watching online because you're like, I still can't even be around those church people anymore. And I get it. We, we all feel that way. And sometimes the division we feel isn't within our church. Maybe it's within our family. Maybe it's with a sibling or a parent, a parent with a child, maybe with a spouse, with your ex. And the division we feel can be so awful. And, and there is something real to the vision and conflict that we deal with that, that are some human things, real issues. But I think sometimes we forget that there is a supernatural element to division. Maybe you didn't even know that. But it's exactly what Satan wants is to divide, to destroy relationships and break things down. He wants to divide. So we're going to talk about that today, and I think it's so important for the church. And sadly, there's been way too many church splits, denominational splits, all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm sure you've heard the the story about the man on a deserted island. He was there for 30 years, and when his rescuers came, they they saw some of the, the things that he had built on this island. It was pretty intricate and amazing. So the rescuer was asking this guy on the island, he's like, so what's that building? And the man says, oh, that one, that's my house. Took me about five years to build that house. Don't you love how it looks? And they're like, oh, that's great. What about this building over here, the rescuer asks, oh, that's, there's a restaurant. I wanted to go somewhere else to eat and pretend I was around some other people. Then he pointed to another building. What about that? He's like, oh, that's my church. It's where I worship God. And the guy's like, okay, let's go. But the rescuer was like, wait, there's one more building over there. What's that building? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) Ain't it the truth, right? Sadly, there are way too much division in our churches. 
And it's exactly what Satan wants, but it's what we must learn to fight against. And this one we can fight and win without even fighting. So in this series, if you've missed any of it, we've, we've been looking at the schemes of Satan. And yes, Satan is real, even if you don't acknowledge him or think he's real. I mean, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. So if you don't, don't think he exists, well, that's what he wants, okay? He is real. He is a supernatural being, an angel created by God who fell and took with him many other angels, which we call demons, and they are our enemies. And whether you acknowledge it or not, we are in this spiritual battle, and Satan has schemes to try to destroy you. First, we saw that Satan wants to deceive you. He's the father of lies. That's what Jesus called him. That's his native tongue is to lie, and he, he has flat-out lies, but sometimes they're half-truths. Sometimes they are bad interpretations of the truth. Sometimes he just deceives us by hiding the truth from us. That's what we learned in week one. In week two, we saw that Satan tries to distort the truth by creating counterfeits, that what God creates, Satan counterfeits. Even religions, fake Christians, a fake judge that will condemn us, but we need to learn that Jesus conquers and he conquers over all that. That was the second scheme of Satan was to distort and counterfeit the truth. The third one that we learned last week was that Satan wants to devour us. He wants to swallow us whole like the prowling lion that he is through sin, through sifting, and through even the evil supernatural, he will try to devour you. That was the third scheme we learned, and today this fourth scheme is divide. Now, I said we're not looking at every single scheme in this series of Satan or else we'd be going for a long time, but, but we are going to look at these four main ways that he tries to attack us because we don't want to be, as Paul says, unaware of his schemes. We need to be aware of them, be prepared, and know how to fight against them. So in 1 John 3.10, we're gonna see what Satan does and what, even in this verse, the antidote is. So in 1 John 3.10, this is our main verse that we're gonna cover today. And we'll be in a lot of scriptures, so you can use the Uversion Bible app, find our Rice Church Denver event, and save the scriptures there. But in 1 John 3.10, John writes, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Okay, that's pretty good. Here's a test, he's saying, to know who's of God and who's of Satan. John says, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Okay, that seems pretty obvious. We've talked about sin, especially last week. Okay, if you don't do what's right, if you're sinning, you're not of God. But then he says, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Meaning you are not of God if you do not love especially your brother and sister. And the brother and sister he's talking about are not your biological brother and sister, though you should love them as well, but it's your brother and sister in Christ, those who are fellow followers of Jesus. So if you're like, I can't stand Christians, maybe you've got some issues to work on. We can work on them a little bit today, right? Does that sound good? Okay, sometimes Christians are the hardest people to love. And yet... That is what defines us as children of God and not children of Satan because children of Satan do not love. They hate, they are cynical. They don't wanna be around other people, especially Christians. But those who are children of our Father in heaven love their brother and sister. So love is what defines us, this relationship, which is completely opposite of the division, hatred, violence, evil that Satan wants to create, to divide. So, you guys ready for the big idea I'm giving you up front? Take some notes, get ready. Those of you who don't take notes, get your eyes ready. <laughs> Satan loses when we love. Okay, you guys got that? Satan loses when we love. I want you to turn to someone next to you and say that. 
Type that in the chat right now. Satan loses when we love because he wants us to be divided and not love our brother or sister, but we can become the children of God when we live out the love that God has given to us. Satan loses when we love. So that's gonna be our big idea. We're gonna come back to it. But first, we're gonna see four different ways that Satan creates divisions, how he divides. So if we learn his schemes, how he divides, then we in turn can learn how Jesus responds to that, and we in turn know how to respond to Satan's scheme of division. So you guys ready for this? Taking notes, point number one, Satan sows division. Okay, that's pretty simple. He sows division, just like you sow seeds. Maybe you didn't do that, okay? If you sow seeds, if you're gonna go out and sow some grass seed, maybe. Maybe you watch the people do it that work for your HOA. They're going out there and sowing seeds in the grass. Maybe you have a little planter that you can put some flowers in, some flower seeds. When you sow seeds, that's what Satan is trying to do, and he's trying to sow seeds of division. We even saw in one of the parables Jesus taught a couple weeks ago that he sows the seeds of um, uh, false believers, counterfeit Christians uh, among us, and that is to cause some division among us. He sows division. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, at the end of this chapter, there's this really fascinating section, and I want you guys to see this. And in verse 23, Paul is writing to the young pastor Timothy, and he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. So arguments lead to quarrels. And he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So he's teaching this pastor what to do. If you wanna be a leader in the church, don't get involved in those conflicts that lead to quarrels. And then he says, opponents, because there are people who want to argue and fight, right? Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the what? trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. He's talking about the church here. Now, I think you can apply the lessons from today to other aspects of your life, to, to your workplace, to your buddies that you hang out with. But he, he's primarily, Satan wants to cause this conflict between brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So he's, he's going to use people that want to create conflict. They're gonna be arguing about things that are foolish and stupid, and it's going to lead to quarrels, and the quarrels cause division even in the church. So Paul's like, Timothy, don't have anything to do with that. These arguments about the minutia of theology. That, that people try to pick apart these little aspects of, of what we believe. It's like, do we really need to fight over that? Over the extent of the flood? How long it took God to create the universe? Do we... Do we need to know or do we need to just be like God created it, okay? That's the point. Do we need to fight over that little matter? Churches right now are, are dividing over whether women can be pastors right now. Is it really worth fighting over that? Dividing our churches? Now, a few years ago, um, there were some, some issues and there was some conflicts. I don't feel like it's private, so I can talk about it here within our church. And there was one person in particular who was causing all sorts of, of these stupid arguments. And at first I was like engaging it because I'm smart. I, like, I actually like to argue, okay? Like it's like a bad thing, right? And when, when I met my wife, she's like, why do you argue? I'm like, it's kind of fun, okay? It's kind of fun just to like, I'll take a side, you take another side, right? Some of you are like that. Pray for us, okay? Actually pray for our spouses. <laughs> That's more like it. 
Um, I like to argue, um, but I was, so I was arguing back about these minutiae, these little details, and then it was turning into quarrels, right? It wasn't just like an argument about something theological that we can, we can take and, and sit at a coffee shop, you know, and, and move on. It's like, it was turning into quarrels, like issues and conflict and division. And I was praying one day about this because it was getting way too big, and, and God gave me that passage, like, I don't know, he, he didn't like speak audibly, but sometimes like I read the Bible and I've like, I've read the Bible over and over again for years. And all of a sudden, boom, this passage means something that it never has before. And it was that passage in 1 Timothy. And, and what, what was so good for this, because it says like someone has been taken captive by Satan, by the devil to do his will. And I really think that's what happened in the situation in our church. So I started praying and it helped me to understand this isn't just conflict between two people, even two Christians, the supernatural evil of Satan is involved. And I actually think this is really, really important because at that point, I didn't think this guy is Satan, right? I'm not saying he's a demon, but people can be used by Satan to sow division. It's what Satan wants to do. And at moments like that, it actually is helpful to separate the person from Satan. Russell Moore who's had his own share of conflict, if you know who he is. He's now one of the editors of Christianity Today. But he said, if we don't oppose demons, we demonize our opponents. I think this is so right on. If we don't realize that there, are, there is a supernatural evil, there's a Satan who's trying to destroy churches, destroy families, destroy Christians, separate them from each other. If we don't realize that we're actually gonna turn our opponents into demons themselves. And then we do all sorts of awful and evil things in return. When we realize, no, no, I, I'm not opposing this per, a person. I'm opposing what Satan is trying to do through them. And then it allows you, did you see what Paul commanded Timothy to do in that situation? For he said, for, first, just avoid those controversies. Like, don't engage in those stupid arguments. Don't get in them. Paul even gives one of the commands, if you wanna be an elder, if you wanna be a pastor in the church, you should not be quarrelsome. It's one of the expectations, the qualifications. Don't be quarrelsome. But he says, don't just avoid them. When someone is like that and they're bringing the conflict anyways, you should oppose them gently. That's interesting, gently. So I got, God gave me that verse and I was like, man, I don't wanna be gentle right now. Right? I wanna fight back. I'm smart, I can argue. Okay, I can rally people on my side. We can go to battle, right? But no, 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 we are supposed to oppose people gently. And I think that's where the love comes in. Because when you love the person, you oppose them gently. And Paul says, you do that so that maybe they'll come to a repentance, that their mind will be open, they'll realize what they're doing, and then there could be restoration. So this is really important for you. If you're in a, a major conflict right now, we as Christians, don't respond, let's bring out the bigger guns, right? No, no, no. We don't wage war as the world does. We respond and oppose, yes, we oppose gently, in love, with kindness. Doesn't mean we're not strong, we just do it gently. Do you know that's what gentleness is? You have the strength, but you're not gonna crush someone. You're choosing to hold that person softly and gently. And that's so important. And sadly in that situation, um, the person did not come to repentance um, and they ended up having to leave our church by their own choice. But we have to oppose some of those people gently because if they don't come to repentance, they have to leave. And this is important, I wanna say this guys. Paul gives several different reasons why someone should, should be kicked out of a church. And one of the top ones is if they are quarrelsome. At the end of Titus in chapter three, verses nine and 10, it says, warn a divisive person once 
then warn them again, then after that, have nothing to do with them. It's that big of a deal to divide God's church. Have nothing to do with them. Because if someone is trying to divide the church, they are being used by Satan. And I experienced that in my life, and I'm gonna do everything I can in my power to not let that happen here. We are gonna be a place of unity and love. We're not gonna fight over the stupid stuff. We're gonna fight for love and for unity here. Because Satan wants to divide us. Satan wants to divide us. And that's what we must do. So, so some of you need to learn that. Be gentle, okay? Be gentle in response. Sometimes when you lean in, I, I talked with a buddy of mine. He's a pastor now, but for uh, over a decade, he was an HR head uh, of his company. He said, whenever I had to let someone go or tell him like the worst news, something was gonna be bad. He's like, I leaned in and I whispered. I lowered my voice. He was gentle. And I was like, that's genius. I mean, he's in the secular world. And then I'm like, no, like that's what you gotta do. He's like, if you do that, it can just calm the situation because that person can feel that you're, you're loving them. Like you care about them even if you have to deliver some really bad news. So, so just be gentle in your conflict. Be gentle. You can oppose, but do it gently. That's what love is, and that's how we oppose even Satan. And then that person, if they feel the love experience, it, it, they might have their mind open, lead to repentance, and there can be restoration. So that, that's what we learned first. The first thing Satan tries to do is to sow division. He's trying to start it. He's trying to get it going. And what's even worse is he tries to make it worse, prolong it. And the second thing is that Satan stirs conflict. He doesn't just sow the seed. Now we're changing metaphors. He stirs it up. He wants it to get bigger. He wants it to last longer. He wants to make it such a big deal that it gets bigger and bigger till it explodes. You can see this in Ephesians chapter four, verses 26. Paul writes, in your anger, so there's anger. He doesn't say, don't be angry. Did you notice that? In your anger, you're gonna have anger. You're gonna get mad sometimes. Some people are gonna oppose you. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. We often skip over the supernatural. I use this passage almost every time I do premarital counseling, okay? This is like one of the go-to texts. I'm like, okay, look at this. And we talk about what that means because if you let the sun go down, that means you're prolonging the conflict. Do you guys see that? That's exactly what Satan wants. He's like, this is something that could have been solved. You could have worked through it, but I'm gonna just make you wait a little bit. Wait a little bit longer because then you think about not just that one conflict, but the last five. What about the last 30 years? That, she's never done that. He always does that, right? And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger in your mind and you forget all the good stuff. This is exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to, to, to prolong any attempt at working things out. Satan gets a foothold, and, and that's great for pre-marriage and marriage counseling, right? That's great for that. But there is a supernatural element there. The devil is getting a foothold. He's just putting his foot in the door, and he wants to open it wider, right? He wants to stir that up to make it bigger and involve other people because then when the sun goes down, then you gotta call your mom and, and oh my gosh, when the in-laws are involved, it's like just, oh my God, how did it get so big? Okay, and then somebody at church knows, now it's gossip all around the town. Oh my gosh, this conflict has just grown and grown and grown and Satan is just smiling. It's a scheme. He's stirring things up to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. So we've gotta recognize that scheme. 
I, I spoke with a woman um, and she, she said I could share some of her story that she had been one of the people in our church who had come out of some of the occult stuff in their past and when they came to Christ, their family was still involved in a lot of that stuff. And she shared with me um, that she was having a lot of conflict with one person in particular in her family. And this person would just start saying all sorts of awful things and it would get worse and worse and worse, right? Saying evil stuff about Jesus and about their faith because they knew she had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And she said, you know, at first she would try to argue and fight because that's what we do and then realize, no, 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 this is supernatural. And she said what, she, what, what Paul said to do and what Russell Moore said to do, you gotta separate the person from Satan. Satan is using this person. So she just started praying for them, even in the midst of them cussing her out, would pray out loud for them. And one night it got so bad and she thought things could never get better. She prayed for this person and they accepted Christ. The Holy Spirit entered them and her entire relationship with this person was transformed. Out of nowhere, she still says it was a miracle. How could God change someone's heart? But it's because Satan uses people to sow that conflict, right? To stir it up and make it worse and worse and worse. And we've got to realize, no, no, no. I can't let my, the sun go down on my anger. I've got to figure out a way to resolve it, to bring peace, even if it requires prayer, even if it requires whatever. I gotta make some compromises. That's okay, let's, let's work forward because conflict that prolongs and prolongs and prolongs is of Satan. We've gotta figure it out. We've gotta work on it. We've gotta find something to do here. We can't be unaware of Satan's schemes to stir up conflict. Some of you right now are even thinking of a conflict you're having with somebody. Maybe it's with a spouse, family member. Maybe it was someone in the church. And, and Satan just wants it to keep going on and on. And there's this elephant in the room every time you see that person, you walk by them and you don't even wanna look at them. And if you do, you give them that look. If you're thinking of that person right now, I'm telling you, Satan wants that to keep going because it's gonna ruin things. He wants to destroy the relationships we have, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are commanded to love one another. So let's not let Satan win on this one. That's the second thing he does. He stirs up conflict. You ready for the third one? He stalls forgiveness. Satan stalls forgiveness. Okay, he doesn't ever want you to get in the room and talk about it. And if you do, he wants you to be stubborn enough never to say you messed up. And then when the person says they messed up, he wants you to say, of course you did. Finally admitted it. No, no. He wants to stall the forgiveness that should and must take place if we are followers of the one who's forgiven us. In 2 Corinthians chapter two, it's the passage we started this whole series with. Paul says, anyone you forgive, writing to the Corinthians, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. See, what happened in the Corinthian church was there was somebody who the church was kind of looking the other way as this guy was sleeping with his stepmom. It was a big issue. And Paul's like, you've got to deal with this person. And then they dealt with the person and the person was repentant but they never forgave him. So here's this guy going to church every single week just feeling ashamed and awful. 
And, and Paul's like, uh, we've got to forgive each other. And that's what he's telling them. It's like, it's been long enough. Like, forgive this person. We've got to move on. I don't care how awful their sin was. Forgive them. Forgive them. Because no matter what the sin is, God forgives it. How can we then not extend that forgiveness to others? If Christ forgives us, we must forgive one another. In fact, Jesus says it's, it's actually like, if you want to be forgiven, you got to forgive people. This is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to forgive. And Satan wants to stall that, make it last longer. Well, I don't know, I don't feel like it. Guess what? Forgiveness isn't a feeling. It's an action. You might feel like it for a moment and then you'll see him again and you'll feel angry again. Forgive him again. Forgive him again and again and again. 70 times seven, forgive him. If you're like, I can't count that high, that's the point, okay? Forgive him again. Satan wants to stall that, delay it, make it not happen because he wants division. And if there's still something between you, you know you feel that with another person that you've had conflict with. If there's not real forgiveness, you just feel it all the time. That's what Satan wants. It's a scheme. And, and there is something supernatural in this. Melissa is so good at this. When we are having our discussions, <clears throat> but some of you might call fights. There are, are times when Melissa will stop and she'll literally say, I think this is, there's something spiritual going on here. I, I, I think there's some spiritual warfare. She'll say that and then she'll start praying. And I'm so grateful she, she does because it starts to open up your mind like, oh yeah, we are making this way bigger than it needs to be. And we are being so stubborn, right? Isn't that what we are? This is the reason why we don't forgive because we're stubborn. We don't want to admit that we even caused an ounce of problems. So there's that stubbornness and arrogance. And then when the other person says, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, that wasn't a real apology. Okay, this is what we do, don't we? You didn't mean it enough. How do you know what they mean or not? I don't care if you don't feel like it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Forgive. Because Satan just wants to stall that. Make it keep going on and on and on. And that leads us to the fourth point of what Satan does is Satan stops reconciliation. He stops it. He's like, I'm gonna stall forgiveness. I'm gonna make this conflict stirred up as long as I can. And then I'm gonna make it so you never come back together. I'm gonna prevent things. I'm gonna put things in the way so that you don't see each other. You don't have time. You can't make your schedules work. He's gonna do whatever he can to stop reconciliation. He's gonna move someone to another state. Well, I can't talk with them anymore. It's like, oh yeah, we don't have phones. Like, you forget about Zoom? Like, all of a sudden. But that's what we do, right? Satan wants to stop reconciliation. There's this interesting passage in 1 Thessalonians. And I think it demonstrates how Satan works here. He says, for we wanted to come to you, Paul says. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. And what is our hope, our joy, or the growth, the crown in which we will gl glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? He's saying, hey, Satan prevented us but I wanna be with you. And Satan is, is trying to do everything again, again and again to stop that from happening. We don't know all the details of what happened, but it would have been hard in the ancient world to physically travel on a ship and go to another location. There might've been people who opposed him, that tried to kill him, persecute him, throw him in jail. It may have been some storms. It might've been weather. It might've been the seasons because it was hard to travel in the winter back then. Might have been all these different things, but Satan was using whatever he could to stop them from coming together. And still Paul's like, I'm gonna write you a letter to tell you I love you. 
Because Satan wants to stop any form of reconciliation from happening. Now, forgiveness is different from reconciliation. You guys need to know this. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to choose to bring revenge. I'm choosing to give up my right to get even. Like you punched me, forgiveness is saying, I forgive you. I'm not gonna punch you back, though you, owe, you earned it, right? That's forgiveness. Reconciliation is saying, hey, we can be friends again. To give that person a hug might be a physical act of reconciliation, which is really good. That's some free marriage counseling you got right there. To physically give someone a hug shows that reconciliation has taken place. Now, forgiveness is commanded and required of us as Christians. We are always supposed to forgive. We are not always able to reconcile. You guys understand this? This is especially true in an abusive relationship. If there's an abusive relationship going on, you are required to forgive that person, but that doesn't mean you need to stay in that abusive uh, relationship forever. That's just foolish. You shouldn't be in that relationship unless it is safe again. And that's when reconciliation can happen. Do you guys understand the difference here? And and, and so I just wanted to, to... differentiate that, but, but Satan wants to stop both those things, right? Because reconciliation is the best. It's obviously the ideal when people can come back together, be friends again, have a restored relationship. Though, of course, it's not like forgetting that anything ever happened. But, but it is saying we're gonna have a restored relationship moving forward. And if you're wondering, well, like, well, Matt, should I try to reconcile or not? Well, this is what Paul says. This is his instruction to us. In Romans 12, 18. He says, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So do what you can to reconcile. But if the other person refuses to reconcile or refuses to change, you can't have reconciliation. You can't change another person's heart. Only God can. You pray for them. So as far as it depends on you, and this is important, because I have had relationships where I've forgiven and had reconciliation, but sometimes reconciliation isn't possible or isn't possible yet. If they are a fellow Christian, hopefully it'll happen on, in heaven. You know, We'll see them at the end and we're like, okay, we can let bygones be bygones, okay? Right? In, in heaven, it, it, there will be that reconciliation. But sometimes it's really hard in this life. But we should still pursue it. Don't let Satan stop you from a reconciliation that could happen. And, and so some of you are thinking of that person right now you have conflict with, or maybe you forgave them in your heart, but have you ever attempted to reconcile with them? Do you have that person on your mind right now and on your heart? Maybe you could reach out. Maybe you could find a neutral third party to be there, present with you if you're a little nervous around them. Don't know what's gonna happen. Go to a public place. It's good. (laughs) Do that. But have you attempted reconciliation? And if you've attempted genuinely and that person has rejected or rebuffed it, then you can say, okay, I've done my part. As far as it be to me, And you can say, hey, whenever you're open, I'm ready. That's a good way to leave it. Like whenever you're ready, I'm here ready for it. And then you can say, hey, I'm not gonna let Satan win on this one. Not today. I'm not gonna let him stop the reconciliation that could happen because that's what he wants. He wants the division to happen and to keep going on forever and ever because those who belong to Satan have division and those who belong to God love their brother and sister. So those are the four ways that Satan divides us. Okay, he, he, sows, um, he sows division. He stirs conflict. He stalls forgiveness. And he stops 
reconciliation. But the good news, this fifth point, is that Jesus sends peacemakers. He sends peacemakers. This is his response to Satan. It's not like, we're going to war. We're gonna fight. No, we're gonna be the peacemakers. Jesus even said, blessed are the peacemakers. When he gave his instruction, when someone smacks you on the cheek, turn the other cheek so they can smack the other one too. Someone asks you to go a mile, you go a second mile with them. If someone curses you, you bless them. That's what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Pray for those who persecute you. In John 13, 2, what I love about this passage is it shows us that Jesus isn't just like kumbaya, hold hands, and let's all get along, okay? He's not in some hippie commune in the middle of the wilderness, like, oh, peace, love, dove. That's not Jesus. He was in the city with people. He traveled with people all the time. Traveling with people is hard enough, right? Okay, he's doing it all the time. And then with his 12 best friends, who he spent three years with, poured into them, loved them, served them, It says the evening meal was in progress. This is the last supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Do you realize this? Satan himself was using Judas, one of Jesus' best friends, to betray him. You ever had somebody betray you, hurt you? It's hard. Jesus knew what it was like. He knew what it was like to have one of his closest friends turn on him for 30 pieces of silver so he'd be murdered, okay? Whatever you experience ain't that bad. Jesus knows what it's like to have conflict, to have Satan himself stir up division. And do you know what the very next verse says in John chapter 13? It says that Jesus got up from the table and began to wash his disciples' feet. Even Judas's feet the one who would betray him. He got down on his knees, lowered himself to humbly wash his feet. And this is the one time in the scriptures Jesus says, follow my example. To serve even the people who try to hurt you and who hate you, wash their feet. Jesus then went out that night and he prayed for us. In John 17, 15, Jesus says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, speaking of the disciples, but that you protect them from the evil one. Okay, we're gonna be in this world. Satan is working. And then he prays in verse 20 of that chapter. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Guess what, guys? That's us. Jesus prayed for you and me. And do you know what he prayed for us? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you that they would have unity, that they would have love, that they would have peace, that they would have relationships with one another, that even though Satan tries to disrupt it, to destroy it, to bring division among their relationships, God says, I pray that they would have the same unity that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have in the Trinity. He wants us to be one because he knows that us united means Satan can't have us. Satan fears a united church. That's why he wants to divide us. He knows there is no greater force of light in the world that can shine into the darkness than the church that stands united because we have the power of love. And that's why when Jesus would send us out in John chapter 20, after he had died and risen from the dead, this is what he said. John chapter 20, he said, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. 
peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's sending us out with peace to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Make peace, not war. Show love in the face of division. Give kindness when there's only hatred around you. This is the weapon that will defeat the enemy. Satan loses when we love and we must stand united because when we do, it shines into the darkness. We talked about the the armor of God this whole series. Do you know the last piece that we haven't touched on? Do you know what it is? Ephesians 6.15. If we wanna stand against the enemy, it says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of what? The gospel of peace. This is fascinating. I did did some study here and somebody could correct me if I'm wrong. But Paul often uses a a different adjective with the gospel. He talks about the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is the one time he calls it the gospel of peace, as far as I can tell. So we're supposed to put on our feet something that comes with readiness. Some verses say it's sandals, some say boots. I don't know, it's just get your feet ready, okay? Doesn't matter if you're barefoot. Whatever you're wearing on your feet, It's the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. The readiness means we're going somewhere, we're moving. And wherever we move in our lives, we're bringing the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came and died to save sinners like you and me. That he came to bring peace between us and God and peace on earth. The gospel of peace. So we are supposed to walk around. A lot of commentators are like, why would he call it the gospel of peace? It doesn't make sense. It makes sense because Satan wants to sow conflict, to stir that up and to break up the bonds between believers. Destroy churches by dividing them in half, because that's what happened to my home church. Now, neither one of those two churches exist. That was Satan through and through. And that's why we need to put on our feet the gospel of peace, so that everywhere we go, we show kindness, gentleness, love. And it changes people's hearts. They don't expect that. They expect us to get mad and angry like everybody else is on Twitter and now threads, a new platform to hate your enemy, right? Wherever we go in our world today, there is more and more conflict, more and more division, and we as a church stand united around love. We're gonna be different than the rest of the world. When they're divided, we stand united, where we can have black and white, Latino and Asian come together to worship God that we can have Republicans and Democrats, socialists and conservatives, all worship Jesus Christ together. You don't see that out there. People from every economic strata in our church worshiping together, the homeless and the CEO. Because there's one God that we come around and we love our brother and sister and we seek unity and the good of one another. And that stands as a light into the darkness of our world. We're gonna need this over the next 16 months, people, you hear me? This election is gonna get nastier than the last one. And we need to stand united in love, in gentleness, because Satan loses when we love. And no matter what Satan throws at us, we as a church can stand. You know what Jesus said at the very beginning when he started the church, the first time he even mentions the church in Matthew 16, 18. Peter had just declared him the Messiah. Jesus and I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades, 
Hell itself cannot defeat the church when it stands united in love. That's what he's saying. And I love that it says gates because gates are stationary. This doesn't just mean we can defend ourselves from the attacks of the enemy, we can but we can go into Hades itself, Satan's realm, and take back ground from the enemy with love. And that's what we're doing here in Northeast Denver. There's darkness around us. We live in one of the least church areas in our entire city. And the Rocky Mountain region overall is an area of spiritual darkness. We live in an area in a five mile radius where there are twice as many dogs as Christians, more marijuana dispensaries than there are gospel proclaiming churches that we have 350,000 men, women, and children around us that don't go to church anywhere. That's darkness. And we're taking background here. We're taking background. That's why we're gathering together this Friday night at 7 p.m. to have a special prayer meeting because we need to pray because it's gonna be our prayer that fights the enemy. And we can stand together united in love, no matter what, to take background. Satan loses when we love. You know, in Ephesians 6, Paul says again and again to stand, doesn't he? Stand firm, stand and then put on the armor of God. So I want you guys to stand if you are ununited with our church in this mission to love our enemies. I want you to stand firm if you are ready to take background from the enemy, to love our neighbors, even our enemies as ourselves. And if you're willing to do that, I want you to hear the words Ephesians chapter six, I don't have it on the screen, but I just wanna read this section. Paul says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist because our enemy is a deceiver and we must know the truth with the breastplate of righteousness in place so that our heart is protected from the enemy. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So though Satan tries to sow division, we can bring peace to our relationships, to our church and to our world. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one because it is faith in Jesus Christ who has already defeated the devil. And we look forward to the day when he takes Satan, throws him in the lake of fire where he will never be heard from again. That's faith. And he says, take up the helmet of salvation to protect our minds and the sword of the spirit, our one offensive weapon, which is the word of God. Stand firm, stand firm church, let's pray. Lord God, I'm grateful that you have commanded us to stand firm, but you've also armed us. You've given us armor to protect us and weapons so that we can take background. Lord God, let us not be unaware of Satan's schemes so that he would outwit us, but we know what's going on. We're aware of it and that we can make peace. We can bring forgiveness, that we can love even those who hate us. And let that force of love go out from each one of us as we leave this place. So as we walk, wherever we walk, our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Lord Jesus, we stand firm against the enemy, united as one, amen. You can be seated for a minute. Now I do wanna just say this, if this message or this series has stirred you and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have not asked Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and savior, none of this means anything to you. 
You need his forgiveness to forgive you of your sins so that you can go out and forgive others. You need to experience his love so that you can be a force for love in the world. So I wanna encourage you to accept what Jesus did on the cross because when Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought he won. The demons laughed. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He could have returned with violence, called down angels or fire from heaven to destroy all those people who had tried to kill him and divide him. But he prayed for their forgiveness and he prayed for your forgiveness. And when he rose on the third day, he proved that he has power over sin, death, and the devil. So you need to receive that gift today by saying a simple prayer. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, I want you to say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody around you who needs to pray it for the first time. So with eyes closed, please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me, forgive me. In faith, I declare Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and bring peace wherever you lead me. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we wanna celebrate with you. So please put your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air and you can hold it up. We have a little gift that we wanna give you. You can keep your hand up in the air. Um, Lord God, we pray for all those who, who make a decision to follow you. If anybody online, um, Lord God, we just pray that you would just help them. I pray that you'd help us to love those who, who seem sometimes so unlovable that we could bring forgiveness and reconciliation to that person that maybe you've laid on our heart in this message today. And I pray that we would be able to love our brother and sister just as you loved us and gave yourself up for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.